everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet. About to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together we're Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after, well, I don't know. It's a game that's got me really confounded. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm on one side. I'm on the other. There was a couple things I really appreciated about this game. One, uh, I got a call out from Skeptical Jets fan who says, somewhere out there, this is while the game is happening after that first period that we saw. Skeptical Jets fan says, somewhere out there, Sean Reynolds is hating that the NHL Jets are winning. He's justified. The buffet table is being filled to overflowing for tonight's Kenny and Rennie show, and there's still another period to go. You know what I love about this? I love that Skeptical Jets fan gets it. I I, I love that he gets the part about me that that gets driven nuts by certain kinds of success by this Winnipeg Jets and by this Winnipeg Jets team. And this is what I'm, I, I'm a little bit, I, I'm split on this one because what we saw from the Jets tonight was that first period where they got absolutely caved in and walked out of that period down just three to two. And it's interesting because we're down in Arizona right now. We're going to go check out the game. The first game at Mullet Arena tomorrow is the Winnipeg Jets play the team that left Winnipeg for greener pastures. And these are the greener pastures that they've ended up in. But down here with Ken, down here with my camera guy, Colin, uh, and we're, we're checking this out. Uh, and, and sure enough, in that first period, I said, look, the Jets are going to walk out of this period and they're going to end up rolling back in and winning this game. And my camera guy called and laughed about it because that's exactly what ended up happening. And, and so part of me wants to to hate this Jets win as I've hated a lot of the Jets wins in the past. And the reason that I've hated those Jets wins where they don't perform very well, but somehow come back into the game and win those games is because I feel like the Jets in those games get away with it. You understand what I'm saying? They don't put in an honest effort. They don't put in the effort that they, that is required to be a good team uh, in the NHL. They don't put in the effort that gets you somewhere when it comes playoff time. Um, and so when, when the Jets would win those games, it was all what I all I ever saw from them after the game was not this recognition that like yeah. We didn't play right. I know we won, but that's not acceptable. There was always this real like patting themselves on the back and being like, yeah, you know what? Hey, we didn't play right, but uh, stay in the fight was the thing that Paul Maurice always used to say. Oh, we stayed in the fight and we pulled it out. And then what I think ended up happening was the Jets just became a team that were comfortable with not putting in an honest effort, trying to pull games out. And if they didn't, Oh, well, so be it. So I'm a little bit split because that first period to me was 100% the old Winnipeg Jets. And they came out of that with, you know, they score on their first goal, first shot of the game uh, to take the lead. Then they allow three straight goals. Then they pull off a shorthanded goal uh, and walk out of that period three to two. But here's where the, the script kind of flips for me. Here's where I, I can't exactly hate on this Jets win the way I've hated on Jets wins like that in the past is that if you take a look at the how they got back into the game, it wasn't that, you know, okay, we're just going to send our skilled guys out and our skilled guys are going to, you know, pull off one or two or three plays throughout the game and they're going to score and we're going to win the game and we're going to rely on Connor Hellebuck. Yeah, they relied on Connor Hellebuck here tonight, but – 
you know, the guys who got them back into this game, like it's it's Morgan Barron getting an assist. It's Adam Lowry getting a goal and assist. It's Axel Janssen Fialbi who scores the game winner again with, you know, roughly around five minutes left in the third period that this Winnipeg Jets coaching staff is sending out the guys that never would have been sent out under the old Jets regime in these situations. And it's those guys who are getting the payoff, never mind the fact that Axel Janssen Fialbert, or Fialbi, sorry, I keep calling him Fialbert, Fialbi was the guy who drew the penalty that Pierre-Luc Dubois scores his goal on. So it, I guess I guess what I'm saying in this situation is the Jets fell behind and there was not an honest effort in that first period. I, I, I'll be the first one to say that. I don't think there was an honest effort. But after that point, I think the Jets got in the game the right way. They had to work to get back into that game. That work that they did paid off and got them back into that game. So at the very least, if you're the Jets, you can look and say, you know what, maybe let's not take that first period off and just work throughout the game to go win that and it won't be so close next time, rather than saying, hey, let's just take the entire night off and Connor Hellebuck will have us covered off on the back end and we'll go out, we'll score a couple skill goals and walk away with it. I, 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 I feel like there's less damage to winning a game like this than there has been in the past because I think winning games like this in the past has led to the Jets getting away with it and and thinking it's okay not to put in the effort whereas this one at least says you know we need to put in a harder effort if we're going to win this and that effort that we saw wasn't just with the top line it wasn't just with their goaltender it was up and down the lineup that's the way I see it. We need to see how Kenny sees it. We were just out having supper together. We've gone to separate hotel rooms. I know some people think we just, you know, we're like Bert and Ernie. We got <laughs> we got bed side by side in the hotel room. That's not how it goes. He's in another place. So it's time to check in with Kenny. Time to bring in the guy who's got the best music in the business. Here comes Kenny. Can Winnipeg Sports talk in the chat here, and uh, they've nailed it. If, if there was an Ernie, you're the Ernie. I'm most definitely the Bert. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely love it. Ken, great to see you. Great to be seeing you down here. Great to be on the road with you again. Uh, the, the trifecta, you, me, and uh, our camera guy, Colin, here to cover a great story tomorrow as the uh, Jets play the first game against the Phoenix Coyotes, or sorry, the Arizona Coyotes in Mullet Arena. Uh, but before we get to that, we got to get to this game here. Uh, I know I took a little bit of time. 740, we're already Holy in the smokes. Here. My goodness, uh, there is some food left on the buffet table, and it's time for Kenny to feast. What would you see here tonight, Ken? Yeah, you're leaving me like a caged animal here, Sean. Uh, and I know it was intentional. So uh, after all the, after all, you know, complaining about who would get the last uh, scoop of the Brussels sprouts and the mac and cheese <laughs> right. uh, earlier. Right. So, 
Uh, hey, I, I, you know, I don't have a big, I don't have a problem with your take, really. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, one thing I would say, the Jets were obviously outclassed in the first period. Uh, they were asleep at the wheel, and you know, getting outshot sixteen to one—that is no, <laughs> that is no laughing matter for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, we we were talking about our, you know, we have a theory to uh, work out here uh, as the as we work through the show. This is the second time the Jets uh, had a pretty tidy effort, followed by a couple of day break uh, between yeah. their next game, and uh, you know, came up with a bit of a dud and. Uh, you know, I'm with you. I mean, these are this is nowhere close to the. It's funny. I mean, uh, recency bias can sometimes be a real thing. So we talk about you know the St. Louis Blues game being a uh, template or a blueprint, if you will, uh, and then they were nowhere near the blueprint uh, in the game this evening for the first period, and then they sort of found a way as the game went on to battle. And I'm with you. I mean, this this Jets. This one doesn't happen without the Jets' bottom six. And what we've been talking about um, throughout the game so far, Sean, you know, the Jets need more from the bottom six. The Jets need more from the bottom six. Well, multi-point game from Adam Lowry, game-winning goal from the fourth line. The Jets have won four games, Sean. The fourth line has produced the game-winning goal in two of the four games. And, you know, we'll get to David Gustafson in a minute. But David Gustafson has two points as well, involved in two goals, one shorty, and then on the game winner as well. So to me, you know, I'm with you. I mean, I, we, we've we often talked about this. I mean, I don't think the Jets were, you know, intentionally asleep at the wheel uh, this evening uh, when it came to their start. I think the LA Kings are a team that's very hungry. They've had a tough start to the season uh, in terms of, you know, where they're at. And I think that, you know, for, they were the team that had everyone's attention. I mean, they you know they they could have knocked out the Edmonton Oilers, and I don't say that lightly, Sean. I mean, they were leading in that series at one point, and they, you know I think it was in Game Six or Seven, uh, they had a chance to put the Oilers away. They were unable to do so, and then the Oilers found some extra life. But uh, they played fast. The Jets played slowly, and if they don't get an all-world effort in the first period and throughout the entire game. From Connor Hellebuck making 39 saves, yeah. they don't. They're not only not only going to have a chance to win that game, they get blown out of the water in that game. So uh, it's interesting. I mean, we'll see if this means it's a trend or if it means they just had a subpar start and they can build on what they did in terms of pulling out a kind of one of those character wins when they did not have their best. Clearly, uh, but this is why we always say. I mean, we're, we're closing in on the 10 game mark, and once. Once we get to the 20-game mark, then we're going to be able to really kind of dig in in terms of what we're seeing uh, from this team in terms of whether they are kind of slinking back into old habits or if it was just something where the opponent was better and then they had to find their way. But uh, this this doesn't happen without a third and fourth line contribution. And that contribution was absolutely massive in the game. No doubt. Um, It's funny. You and I had this conversation, uh, Julie Sue. Uh, talks about <laughs> Fialbi and says he should be Fiabio. <laughs> I love that's this. pretty good. But that's it's funny. Good. It's funny. I'll say this because um, I remember when he showed up. I don't know if it was you I had this conversation with, but I had a conversation with someone in the media about uh, Janssen Fialbi and had said, 
are we at the stage where, because when I was coming up, right, when we were young men and we were teenagers or in our early 20s, if you had long hair, and I did, so for from the time I was about 18 to 22 or 23, I had long surfer hair. And if I walked into a room, someone, someone in that room called me Fabio, period. That it just happened. If you had long hair like that, someone called you Fabio. Having long hair in that era meant that you were a Fabio to people. And so it's funny because I saw uh, uh, Axel Janssen Fjallberg coming to town and I was thinking, okay, sure enough, people are going to be calling him Fabio. But I wonder at this stage if that's like an antiquated name, right? Like if you called <laughs> Get off Fabio, my lawn. That's a get exactly, off my lawn special. <laughs> exactly. If you called him, if you called him Fabio to like a 20 year old Jets fan would you get like a puzzled look from that 20 year old Jets fan and be like who are we talking about here right everyone knew who Fabio was in the 90s early 2000s I don't know that everyone knows who Fabio is anymore so it's funny she brings that up I just had to talk about that quickly I also had to talk about the fact Ken that I'm taking a look at the way you're dressed in your hotel room right now and the way that I'm dressed in my hotel room right now and I gotta say this is what happens when Frank from Vittorio Rossi doesn't get his thumbprints all over us. You know what I'm talking about? We, we, we are falling down here. That's nice. You got the, at least you got the team issue, buddy. Team issue. team issue, team issue. <laughs> yeah. I don't have the team issue on, but someone asked me earlier on if my shirt is lucky logger. So that's what happened. When, when Frank doesn't dress me, I look like I get my clothes for free out of a box of beer. That's the problem, right? So I can go from looking pretty rough to looking like I'm ready for a national broadcast. And the person who gets me there is good old Frank from Vittorio Rossi. Uh, if you have any kind of suits needs or anything like that, go on down to Corden Avenue, check out the boys of Vittorio Rossi, go talk to Frank, tell him Kenny and Randy sent you. Kenny is set in the next little while. Montreal game, debut. buddy. Next, next. The Montreal yeah. game. Ken's yeah. going to debut a new Vittorio Rossi suit. So stay tuned Sharp. for that. Everybody, it's going to look sharp for sure. Um, hey, I, I wanted to ask about this because, okay, last show we had, people were saying that I was scaring everybody with my optimism about <laughs> how happy I was with how the Jets played, and I was. Um, I noticed that I went on Winnipeg Sports Talk the next day, and we had that conversation. I started seeing some people talk on Twitter, and they were saying that maybe the media had fallen a little bit too in love with that game that the Jets had played. Now, I take a look at this game here tonight, and I think those people had a reason to say that because one of the things that we don't know about this Winnipeg Jets team, and one of the things that they struggled with last year, there would be games where they looked like they had things in order, and then you you didn't know what was happening with the next game. And you and I talked about it on this show, and I'd said it. I didn't know what to expect from that Jets team last year. You know, I, I, I never knew which version of the team was going to show up. And so I wonder about tonight's game whether or not it's a sign that they're overcoming their old ways or if it's a sign for a team to get caved in as badly as they got caved in in the first period and escape that first period and escaping that first period with two goals is probably the reason that they're able to win that game in the end despite the good effort after that. But are you concerned at all at this stage about the Jets' consistency? Well, I mean, you certainly have to be aware of it. Uh, I'm not sure if I would need to be concerned about it in terms of it being a trend. Like I said, it needs to happen, you know, more than twice out of nine or nine, yeah, nine games in order for it. Sorry, seven games 
in order for it to be a trend. However, I mean, it was a, it was a concern how they started. I mean, it was a shooting gallery against Connor Hellebuck. So I would never say that that is a good idea, especially... Uh, see, Sean, what I would say is this. I mean, what we're going to find out about the Jets over this next stretch of time is if the more concerning matter to me... We always discuss this and debate this. The more concerning matter to me would be if the Jets are getting fat on their press clippings. doesn't matter what the media says about it. In the past, what we've seen, even last year, the Jets play one or two good games, and then all of a sudden they forgot what got them the success in those games. So to me, mm-hmm. I would say today the fact that it didn't, you know, what you always like to say, the Jets usually wait until the third period, and sometimes in the last 10 minutes of the third period, before they crank it up, even when they're getting caved in at times. Uh, on the shot clock or on the territorial clock or or all of those things. To me, the fact that the Jets cut it to within one before the end of, this, of the first period, the fact that they took the lead, and then after giving up the lead early in the third period, after Philip Deneau forced the turnover of Pierre-Luc Dubois, then they found a way to win that game. To me, that look, that's a little bit more on the impressive side. You know, that doesn't mean that they've solved all those issues or won't revert to some of those other things. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Uh, but but that so, Sean, what I'm saying is I see growth more than I see cause for concern, although there is still some cause for concern, as Nate Schmidt pointed out on his postgame media that was aired live from Los Angeles uh, with Jeff Hamilton and Ted Wyman uh, providing most of the question asking there. So... I mean, th- there's a lot lot to take care of there, Sean, but it's interesting. I-, I think that the fact that the Jets are getting these type of contributions. So, you know, we at dinner we were talking about Adam Lowry. I mean, last year Adam Lowry had a really, really tough start to the season. His first half numbers were not good enough for a third-line player. And we know that Adam Lowry's job has always been more than just putting up points. But now Adam Lowry is up to, what, he's up to four points in seven games. Or is it five? Yeah. Five, he's five, it's five now, right? Because he had two points in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way, Morgan Barron, what we talked about earlier in the year, Morgan Barron had some chances but wasn't converting. Today he gets an assist, and then he provides an important screen on the Nate Schmidt goal. So now the third line's feeling into it, right? Now we talked about Axel Janssen-Fialbi. When you get claimed off waivers, Sean, you need to show your new coaching staff what you can do. Scott O'Neill is familiar with Axel Janssen-Fialbi, but from a small sample size, like a 23-game sample size. Now, since he's come over to the Jets, there have been some games where you see some of the flashes, and now you get a guy who had a couple chances, but you weren't sure if he's going to convert, and now he converts with a really nice redirection off the Brennan Dillon shot. So, I mean, there's another step forward. David Gustafson has been playing really, really well. He makes a really smart play. He freezes Drew Doughty, gets the puck over to Lowry. Lowry goes to the patented backhand five hole, which is what he does a lot of time on the shorthanded opportunities. Then, late in the game, Gustafson, good job. I wonder if the Kings thought that might have been tripping or if the defenseman kind of lost his footing. Either way, Gustafson involved. Smart play. This time he gets another assist. And the fourth line feels really good. And 
Sean, we know this. If you played on any hockey team, when the fourth line goes out and gets a massive goal like that, they are not just the ones getting fired up. That lifts the bench to an enormous level. That's a massive, massive contribution. And it helps those fourth line guys feel good because it means they're not just out there treading water. They're out there making a positive contribution. The kind that, like we, we talked this about this early in the year, Jared Bednar. I'm not just looking for a player to take up fourth line minutes. I want someone who can contribute to the hockey team. And the Jets for a long time haven't had a lot of contributions from the fourth line, with the exception of the year that Nate Thompson, Trevor Lewis, and Matthew Perot, they went forever without giving up a 5-on-5 goal. But they weren't providing a lot of offense. Now you have a defensively conscious line that's getting involved physically, mostly from Sacramento Linen. You know, Janssen Fialbi gets in on the four check. And now you've got Gustafson, really smart guy. But yeah, Turd Ferguson. Adam Lowry really helped the Jets get going, and that was a massive part of this hockey game. Um, okay, I'm just <laughs> building off something that you said here. You talked about the Jets getting fourth-line contributions for the first time in a long time. Um, hey, you know what? Before we go there, uh, I know that's a good segue, but we should get into it. It's time to do the lamplighter. Before we do the lamplighter, I want to hand out the lamplighter uh, winner from our last show. We had a ton, a ton of entries Leighton Janis wins uh, wins our Lamplighter 8-pack this last time. Leighton Janis, I haven't seen him in the chat. So here's the way it goes. If you talk about it in the chat, I'd like you to do that right now because Kenny's about to give his Lamplighter. If you drop your Lamplighter into the chat here, you're entered. That's all you got to do. You got to say, hey, this is what I thought was the best goal of the game. But you better call it a Lamplighter. That's all I got to say about this. But you tell us what your lamplighter of the game was. You're entered. Leighton Janis, I haven't seen him in the chat here. Um, so I'm going to set up this rule. I think this is going to be fun. So Leighton Janis, you better listen to this. You better listen to it on the podcast afterwards or check it out on YouTube afterwards if you're not here right now. Leighton Janis is the winner of our most recent uh, pack, but he hasn't left us an email to send him the winning voucher. So he's got to get a hold of us. He's got to either DM you or I can on Twitter or get a hold of us one way or another. Um, and if he does that, he's going to get that. But this is what I'm setting up now. If people don't claim yes. their eight-pack of Lamplighter Lager, then it rolls over. And then that means next show, and if Leighton Janice doesn't figure this out and send us uh, his contact information, that means the next show, someone is winning a 16-pack of Lamplighter Lager. So that's the way we're going from right now. But we had a ton of entries. There's a ton of ways you can enter. The, you know, the quickest and most direct route is for you just to leave your lamplighter in the show here right now. Other than that, you can DM Ken uh, on Twitter or DM me on Twitter. Uh, mention us on Twitter and throw it in there. Send it to our Instagrams. You can leave the comments in the if you watch the Kenny and Randy YouTube show after the fact. Leave your comments in YouTube below that. You can do it there. Uh, but that's how it's going to go. And I pass it over to you, Ken. What was your lamplighter of the game? Yeah, there we go. Uh, for once in a while, Kenny's water bottle and I agree completely. Uh, the lamp he, He's all the over the place. <laughs> he's all over the place. Him and I had it out last show. Yes, indeed you did. But uh, Kenny's water bottle is bang on. It's the, it's the play by David Gustafson to force Drew Doughty into a tough defensive position where he freezes him, gets the puck over to Lowry. Lowry going to the backhand through the five hole. 
Uh, to me, that's my lamplighter. I know Marshall does not agree. Also, obviously, the Janssen Fialbi redirection off the Brennan Dillon shot is the most important goal of the game. But to me, the flashiest goal of the game and the goal that was essential for the Winnipeg Jets after falling behind 3-1 to one, uh, after scoring first is the lamplighter of the game for me. Good stuff. I'll agree with that, and I'll go in that direction. I wanted to get back, though, Ken, to what I wanted to ask you about. You were talking about the fourth line and saying you're getting contributions now that you haven't got in years past. Here's my question to you. Uh, we talked about in that it just always stands out to me so much that first game of the year, under five minutes left, Sam Gagne ends up out with the fourth line, scores the game winner. You talked about the game winners <laughs> being scored by the fourth line. What does it say? The best... That was the pass to Dylan DeMello that was fired off the sun. <laughs> oh man, North. End he was Rick. trying to go, trying to go top bunk, and he went over the top. And North End uh, Rick was sending was, a message. He was perturbed, perturbed by him missing. That I, I will say this, David Martino. I think because of the angle where the camera was, it looks way worse. That it looks like the the high wide left, but I think it's a closer attempt than it looks. But yes, Jonathan Quick was not even in the vicinity of the three quadrants of the goal. Uh, that that was one that needs to be buried. But uh, obviously, uh, you know, nobody feels worse about that than Dylan DeMello. Um, I just had to throw this out. Eric Horleafson uh, entered himself into the lamplighter draw, rightfully so, because he's already won an eight-pack. He sent me a message, Kenny, to say he went down today to go pick up his eight-pack of lamplighter mm-hmm. and was super excited about it and walked in and started smelling the pizza that you and I have both experienced there. Picked himself up a pizza and went and took it home. I can't think of a more perfect <laughs> night taking some Transcona or sorry, Trans Canada Brewing Company pizza and some lamplighter lager home to watch the game. That's absolutely phenomenal. That's good stuff for it there. Uh, Ken, before we go too far, um, I wanted to ask you also about your Johnson Group got you covered play of the game. What do you got? Oh, I mean, I know you used it earlier on, but I mean, that, that's it's got to be Hellebuck. I'm sorry. I mean, like that's a he literally picked up his entire team and put them on his back for the first period. I mean, Nate Schmidt basically said after the game that, I mean, at some point you look at yourself and say, come on. I mean, you can't waste an effort that is that strong from the netminders. So uh, to me, it's got to be Hellebuck. Uh, no, no, no play specifically. Uh, well, you know what? Let's drill down on the specifics. I mean, this save on Adrian Kempe. I mean, it's literally comes less than five, less fewer than ten seconds before Blake Wheeler pumps it into the empty net. The Kings are short-handed, but they pull their goalie to get the extra attacker. It's a five-on-five play. Kempe is wide open on the back door. Hellebuck sticks out the leg, makes the save. Blake Wheeler gets the puck, fires it into the empty net. And there it is. The Jets secure a victory in a game where they were very sluggish out of the gate and were fortunate to come away with two points to start a three-game road trip, which will include a visit to Tempe, Arizona, where we both are on Friday night at Mullet Arena, where I was stopping by this morning to uh, check out the new facility. Uh, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later on. But, yeah, yeah that, I mean, we'll Hellebuck, Hellebuck, uh, Hellebuck as a whole... And specifically on a save on Kempe when the game was still within reach for the Kings. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I got to say, I think that quite often this year when we go yeah. for the 
No, we've got you covered. Johnson Group uh, play of the game, uh, or or I mean, performance of the game. It's going to be Connor Hellebuck over and over and over again. Both you and I have him winning uh, the the uh, Vesna Trophy this year. Uh, I think that he's given us a lot of reason to have faith in him so far. Uh, but gotta love the uh, we've got you covered. Johnson Group play of the game. Talking about Johnson Group, you won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan employee benefits proudly administered by our friends at Johnson Group. Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses, and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers Plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues, and Teladoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers Plan can benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.ca, the Johnson Group, the Kenny and Rennie OGs. Got to love those guys. And just a reminder, if you haven't done so already, give us your lamplighter of the game, TransCanada Brewing. Lamplighter Amber Ale. It's the... It, we got the juice. My kids are into that corn song. Do you know what I'm talking about? The uh, It's corn. My oldest daughter can't, can't stop singing it. That, every time I hear it, I think Lamplighter. We got the juice. Uh, if you haven't been to TransCanada Brewing Company, go join them at their tap room at 11290 Keniston. Absolutely phenomenal space. Like Eric Horleafson was saying, oh, boy, you walk in, you smell that pizza. You're not going to be able to walk out without one. We can't wait. We're going to have four events there this year, uh, and we're going to hopefully meet. Uh, we got to lock those uh, dates down, but we're going to have a couple live Kenny and Rennies. We'd love to see you all join us there. Um, I wanted to dig into this a little bit. Ken, like we had talked about like the fourth-line contributions, and you'd said uh, the idea about um, you know them contributing more. I don't know. I guess I'll say it like this. I, I want to give Axel Janssen Fjallberg credit. I want to give Sapphire. Fjallberg, come on, come on. Fjallberg, Let's end, Fjallberg. This, end this habit right now. End it. Yeah, end it. Snuff it out. End it. Hey, there's one way to do it. You got to tell me to do it, though. How do you do wake it? Up, Sean, wake, wake up, Sean. Wake up. Let's go. I wake you, up you, on I, this. Hey, I'm like Rick Bonus. I got to hold you accountable, Sean Reynolds. Get that name right. Let's go. Fialbi, Fialbi. I had a Mr. Fialbi. Fialbi. I know, but I had Write it out a hundred times. I had a Mr. Fialberg in high school. That's the problem. He was a gym teacher. That's why I keep going down there. Fialbi. So we've got Fialbi, Menelina. We've got Bear in there now. Now, and a lot of people are giving credit in the chat room about about Kevin Sheveldayoff building a better bottom six than he's had in years back. But is it a better bottom six, Ken? Or is it just performing better because they're finally being given the opportunity to take a piece of the pie that was not provided to them in under the old coaching regime? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm going to let you answer the question the way you want to, but I, I can't say definitively that the Jets don't have a better bottom six than they've had in years past, but I can take a look at the bottom six and feel like I've seen enough to know that maybe, just maybe, they're performing better because they're being given the opportunity to perform, which never happened really before this. Yeah, see, I would disagree on the third line part. I mean, Adam Lowry's line has had an important contribution for years. So in that that part of it's not really that new. The newer part is that uh, Rick Bonus and Scott O'Neill are leaning more on the fourth line. So, I mean... Is David Gustafson more ready than he was this year than last year? Slightly, but Gustafson's problem last year was health. It had nothing to do with his ability. I mean, 
you and I both thought at training camp that David Gustin was probably ready to be on the team last year. He just didn't get the opportunity to do so. So yes, opportunity is important. But I mean, the Jets also have a you know two players that ha- haven't really solidified themselves as NHL players. And you, I mean, some people would throw Gustafson in that as well because he hasn't had you know he still hasn't had fifty games in the NHL. Menelainen coming back from playing overseas. I mean, Janssen Fialbi, twenty plus games in the NHL. I mean that that's not a lot of games. So. Um, you know, are they definitively better than the best fourth line the Jets have ever had? Well, I mean, we can't know that after seven games. But what we do know is that their opportunity has been provided. And they've done a nice job with the opportunities so far. Can they continue to do that? Well, that's the thing, Sean. They have to. I mean, Paul Maurice talked for years about needing more from his fourth line. But he didn't give them the opportunity to get more on a lot of occasions. So... Uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, like I said, we know that one of the things going into the year was that the fourth line was going to have to play more. Rick Bonus talked about it pretty much reg- with regularity. And now the Jets coaching staff has reinforced the need for that. And you know what's easier to do, Sean? It's a lot easier to play your fourth line when they are contributing. So I get it. I mean, I'm familiar with fourth lines and the ability and the need for fourth line contributions. <laughs> When the fourth line is contributing, of course, it's easier to play them. But I, I'm with you. I mean, it's chicken and egg. I mean, opportunity has to be there. But you also yeah. have to force the opportunity. Like, it's it's one of those things where I don't think it's, you know, we always talk about Rick Bonus not liking the shade of gray. That's how it always is with fourth liners. You can't automatically give them 12 minutes if they aren't earning it. So if you're in a fourth line situation and you're getting six minutes, do something that forces the coach to play you eight or nine minutes. And I know that's not an easy thing to do when you're not in the rhythm or the flow of the game. But the good news for the Jets' fourth line is that those players are being used. They are part of the special teams at times. So then it's easier to get into a rhythm. So, I mean, the big thing for them is they're going to need this over an 82-game span, not a six or seven or eight-game span especially when you're looking at the number of back-to-back scenarios. Again, going into Friday's game in Arizona against the Coyotes, the Jets are going to need a contribution from their fourth line. Their second line today did not look good, right, Sean? I mean, that that's that's there's no way around that. Dubois, yeah. Perfetti, and Wheeler did not generate a whole lot. Yes, Dubois got a nice, powerful goal on the power play, but that line wasn't in sync the way they were two games ago or three games ago. And if the Jets want to win, they're going to need that line to be going. But on a night when that line was not going at five on five, then the third and fourth lines picked up the slack. That's the thing, Sean. You're not always going to be carried by your top line or your top six. There are nights when the third and fourth lines have to make contributions to the score sheet as well as carry the play at times. And the Jets did that on the evening against the LA Kings and an LA Kings team that likes to play four lines and play in your face hockey. Um, I got, I love this from Tracy Evans Burr who jumped in and said, Hey, K in our chat, what a game, just a little bit of this. And then jumped in right afterwards with the lamplighter. I'm loving it. Cause the audience is getting it. They know the, they know the formula that we're developing here. And <laughs> Hey, listen, when the payoff is some of that frosty, uh, 
a lamplighter amber ale that's the way it's going to go hey ken i saw it i'm not going to make the way audience wait as long someone said was that last game we did the we did the sean's headband and someone asked if that was the first time we did it in 2022 <laughs> not even close but it did make me feel like i've been making the audience hold out for too long so in bones we trust as rennie making me stay up late for the headband i need a lamplighter well in bones we trust has entered for the lamplighter and in bones is we trust is also going to get some sean's headband action we're down in the desert let's make it happen here kenny let's make it a kenny and rennie uh show version of uh sean's headband here we go All right, Kenny, before we go too far and move on to the next topic, I, I just have to say I think you are totally right with your last comments when you talked about it being the chicken and the egg argument. I think you're entirely right because you're right. One thing that the third and fourth lines have done this year that have like paid off for, for them and the reason why as a coach you keep you know feeding them and giving them opportunities is because they've capitalized on the opportunities. But I can't imagine a scenario in the Paul Maurice regime in which with under five minutes left, even if we go back to the Nate Thompson and Trevor Lewis line and Matthew Perot, that line that he really trusted, I think that's a line that if they're protecting a lead, he sends out with under five minutes left to go. But I don't think there is a world that existed in which in the Paul Maurice regime that the fourth line was heading out with under five minutes later to try and win a game. Um, so I have to say, I agree with you and you're going to, you're, you're going to counter this. And I love that you're going to do that. I agree <laughs> with you, but I have to say, I think that the, the, what we're finding here is, and this is why I find it's a debate. Yes. It's a good top six. Yes. We should give or sorry, bottom six. Yes. We should give Chevy credit for building that bottom six, but this bottom six is being given an opportunity to show what it is capable of doing in a way. I don't believe a bottom six in the Paul Maurice era was given an opportunity to do, uh, uh, to show what they were capable of doing. And who knows, maybe they were capable of doing it. The one thing I will say is I absolutely really love about uh, the coaching staff here has said, we need, all four lines to be going throughout this year if we're going to get anywhere. And right away, if I'm a fourth line player, I'm now more invested in this team because this team is going to succeed only if I contribute. That's what I hear from the coach. I don't think any Jets iteration heard that from the coaches before this last year. And that's why I think it's different. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we sometimes forget. I mean, at one point, the Jets' fourth line was Brian Little with either Jack Rozovic or Joel Armia and Matthew Perot. So, I mean, that line played for Paul Maurice and for the Winnipeg Jets. It was not their normal fourth line. It was not their regular season fourth line. It was after the trade for Paul Stastny. I mean, the other year, I think they got Yuri Talusti down there for a little while. I mean, uh, that was earlier on, I think, in the iterations. But but they would, have, they have, they, would they have ever used those lines to score your way back into a game, to score game-winning goals? 
Well, I mean, like I'm saying, I mean, Brian Little was not a fourth-line player. So, I mean, he was still playing 10 to 12 minutes. I mean, were they... The Jets also didn't send Gustafson over the boards for that line to score the winner today. They just happened to do so because they had been putting together productive shifts. But, I mean, your point is still well taken. I mean, the Jets hadn't been... They hadn't been relying on their fourth line to do much other than eat up ice time. And, like, Paul Maurice often used the word treading water. I mean... Do more than just tread water out there. Well, the fourth line is doing that right now. They're not just treading water. So, I mean, I just like to, you know, it's the big broader painting. Like, I, I know we always, like I said, I mean, I'm with you. For the, for the most part, what you said is 100% accurate. But there are also these little pockets during that time where, uh, I mean, the Jets had depth and, you know, they had veteran players and one was inexperienced in Jack Rozovic. But, um you know, when Armia and Perot and Little were like those guys got ice. Those guys weren't six minute a game players either. Is my only point there. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like you're gonna pull out some kind of comedy line and be like, I'm eighty percent with you, but sixty percent against you, or something. Yogi like Berra isn't for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm ready. Um, I'm ready for okay. it. Okay, let's get into some of the. You know what the, the the beauty of the way that this team has been going is we've had lots of good conversations about kind of like more peripheral players on this team because the peripheral players have become a lot more uh, uh, a lot more central. Do you want to go? Is are you sitting? Give me that face because you want to talk about Sandberg right now? Oh, I mean, I just think it's interesting how the chat has changed since the like the game before Toronto. Nobody wanted Logan Stanley playing. And now, you know, Dylan Sandberg comes no, back from Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Not only did they not want to play. Inconsistency from our chat room? Come on. <laughs> no. Anyways, go on. That's Sorry. okay. It's good. I mean, <laughs> these are young players. I mean, it's... It, Again, I understand Logan's not a young person, but in terms of NHL experience, still pretty young. Dylan Sandberg, pretty young, right? So yeah. Dylan Sandberg plays a solid game against the best team in the National Hockey League. Today, he had a couple of hiccups in a game after he sat out a couple games with an injury. And people's response is, get that guy benched. I mean, these guys need a little bit more of a leash, but that's the thing. When there's competition, that's a good thing. Logan Stanley played two strong games in a row. You know, good for him, but unfortunate timing. He gets hurt and can't build on that game. So Dylan Sandberg comes in. He has a turnover. He had a you know couple plays where he didn't handle the puck as crisply as he did against the Avalanche. I mean, there are going to be errors made by all defensemen, young, old, inexperienced, veteran, any somewhere in the middle. That's part of the deal. And I understand what where folks are coming from, but I mean. The guy's not going to become – that guy suddenly goes from good player to bad player because he makes a mistake. Mistakes are part of the NHL game, especially for players who are building their resumes. And and that's where both of those guys find themselves. Does Dylan Sandberg need to play better to stay in the lineup? Absolutely yes. Yeah. Does he deserve to come out after one you know, subpar showing? No. I mean, that's just perspective. There's seven games that have been played. Let's see how this develops. And, you know, both players are going to want to be better as they move forward. You know, I, I think you bring up a, a pretty good point, And I think it's something that people need to see. Like, if you take a look at a guy like Dylan DeMello, who I think has shown up and just been like a quiet performer, never mind the fact that he missed the wide open net tonight. I know the with the recency bias is going to have people kind of like, you know, nails on the chalkboard when it comes to him. But like, how long did Dylan DeMello kind of play in and out of the lineup for years with the San Jose Sharks, right? On a really good roster where he learned stuff 
from a lot of really good defensemen on that team, but didn't just step into the NHL. Like I think that's what everyone is expecting is it's like a guy is a young guy. He makes it out of training camp and he's in the lineup and then that's it. He's an NHLer until he's old and he falls out of the league. Right. You know, if you take a look at a guy like Caden Gooley uh, in, in Montreal, that's how it's going to be for him. Right. But that, you know, everything I hear about him is he's going to be a star, right? He was a star in waiting. They developed him properly uh, in the WHL. He pops out. He had his first NHL goal tonight. He's going to be one of those players. He entered the league and he's not going to leave the league until he's, you know, an older player, not able to play anymore. But, you know, a lot of guys have traveled this path. Dylan DeMello is one of those guys who traveled this path. This is what being a young player who's not an out-and-out blue-chip prospect looks like. You get into the lineup, you have some good nights, you have some bad nights, right? So, I mean, we were we were looking at the game, right, Ken? And you showed me a play in which Dylan Sandberg was pretty, it was an egregious mistake and it ends up being in the back of the Jets net, right? And, and that's what's going to happen. You got to learn on the job, right? So anyone, I know, and, and this is what's going to happen. There's going to be some people out there who like Big Stan. And what those people do is they're going to forgive the mistakes that he makes and they're going to highlight the things that he does well. And they're going to say it should be Stan. And those same people will look at Sandberg and point out the mistakes that he makes and say, yeah, but he made this egregious mistake and they'll play down the good stuff that he does. And then vice versa, the people who really want Sandberg in the lineup are going to do the opposite of that. But the fact of the matter is that what that's what makes it such a good debate is because I can tell you this right now. Here's the spoiler, ladies and gentlemen. Logan Stanley and Dylan Sandberg are players who are fringe NHLers right now. They haven't established themselves and locked themselves in as NHLers. So they're going to make their mistakes. They're going to show you flashes of what they're capable of doing. Let's remember, everybody, it was two seasons ago in the playoffs that Logan Stanley had two goals in Game 4 of the Stanley Cup second-round playoffs against the Montreal Canadiens against the hottest goaltender in the league that that playoff year uh and then you you go and you see a couple years later he's still there he's still making certain mistakes this is what you're going to see from these players and so what I think you're probably going to see we knew Dylan Sandberg was going to be playing because um bonus before he he uh bowed back out with COVID had said that we were going to see Dylan Sandberg on this trip. Um, This is how it's going to go for a while until one of these players locks themselves in and starts like erasing those mistakes. um, They're going to, they're going to, you know, be platooning back and forth in this lineup. Um, And the, the mistakes that are happening, they're not, world ending in either case but these are the things that slowly need to be rooted out of each of their games and I, I i say it like this ken the one of those two players that roots those mistakes out of their game faster is the guy who's going to stay in the lineup and then get to the stage where it says like i haven't given you a reason to take me out of the lineup so you're not taking me out of the lineup dylan samberg created a scenario there's an opening there i'm not saying he won't play tomorrow or excuse me tonight against the Arizona Coyotes, but there's an opening there. The same way Logan Stanley has made openings in the past, 
that that there's a reason to take him out of the lineup. This is young players. They're making mistakes on the job, and that's just what we're seeing right now. So all the people who are saying it should be this guy, it should be this guy, it's probably going to bounce back and forth for a little while here anyway. We should talk about Mark Shifley. Um, I, 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 we got to get into this. Um, you had talked about it not necessarily being there tonight, and we'll have to get and talk about Kyle Connor. Um, and the lack of production that's happening from him. You wrote a story, and I know that he's expecting to break out. That didn't happen here tonight. But, uh, you know, I had it to Mark Shifley. I thought it was another good night uh, for possession for him, for pushing the pace, uh, but also just being that guy who is, like, showing up time and again on the scoring sheet, which I, I do think is invaluable when you're a guy that a team – counts on to score he's not scoring in bunches he's not putting up four points a night the way Connor mcdavid does but he's showing up enough that he's you know basically a point per game player um that's what you need from those guys yeah so today shifley let's have a look here breakaway goal 25 shifts for 22 21 he had only the two shot attempts three hits he had a tough matchup sean let's let, let's not kid ourselves he did a great job in the head-to-head with Ryan O'Reilly on Monday. Today he had another one of the toughest matchups in the NHL. Andre Kopitar is one of the best oh, yeah. two, two-way centermen still in the game. And oh, oh yeah. if that if that matchup's not working, Todd McClellan says, "Hey, Philip Deneau, why don't you take a jump over the boards and see how you do against Mark Shifley?" So, I mean, pretty goal in the breakaway. It's important. I mean, Shifley has been producing. I mean, he's got five goals already. I think yeah. Connor McDavid is leading the NHL in goals. Mark is among the league leaders. I mean, it's an impressive start for Mark Shifley, and his effort in both all three zones has been improved. I mean, people they see the slightest thing in Shifley right now, and they're oh, well, Shifley's not trying. I mean, come on. I mean, the effort is there. There's there's no disputing it. Are there going to be mistakes? Are there going to be times where he's not as ferocious on the back check as he is on the forecheck? It's still going to be happening. You don't become a Selkie candidate overnight. And Shifley is probably never going to be a Selkie candidate. But to, to suggest that he's you know reverting back to old habits or not trying, I mean, that's simply not true. Like that that's wake up material for people who are thinking that. Is there there's always going to be areas of his game that need improvement. There's always going to be areas of almost every player's game that need improvement. But what we've seen is that Mark Shifley is bought in to the coaching staff, to the system that's being played. And his effort has been a really high, at a very high level so far. And the Jets have needed it, especially with Kyle Connor off to a slower start in the goaltending department. I mean, uh, goal scoring, goal scoring. Yes, I mean yeah. it's it, it, it's surprising. I mean, one goal in seven games, that being an empty netter, that's a surprising start for a guy who has been money in the bank. That's a good point. He hasn't put one past the goalie yet this year. Yeah, money in the bank for multiple seasons here 30 and 40 and like thought he might be at the 50 goal pace this year he still could get hot he gets a hot streak like i said like i wrote i mean he's a streaky scorer at times but the thing about connor is that he's diversified his game he goes to the hard areas and he isn't just relying on his one timer or his quick release to score in one particular fashion he talked about that when we talked in banff earlier this month i mean he knows that if, as soon as you score a goal one or two one way or you score the same way twice, that video is out there and it's being shown in every single pre-scout. Mm-hmm. This is what you need to watch out for. So when you're getting that level of attention, it's hard to score. I mean, but Kyle Connor has consistently scored 
I wouldn't be concerned if I were Scott O'Neill or Rick Bonus. Kyle Connor's not suddenly going to be hovering at a 5% or less of a shooting percentage. That's just not going to happen. He's too good. So if the Jets, if you're the Jets, would, would they like that to happen sooner? Of course they would. But I don't see frustration from Kyle. I saw him put together some of the most dangerous games that he's had <laughs> so far this year against Toronto, against St. Louis. I know today maybe not quite as dangerous, but I don't think that's a huge cause for concern. But, I mean, when it goes when it goes to Shifley, let's be honest. No, I don't think even the most staunch Shifley enthusiast, Sean, would have had Mark down for five goals in seven games. Hmm. I just don't think that it's, it's a high pace. I mean, it, it's a ridiculously high pace. But the bigger development for Shifley is not just scoring goals. It's what he has been doing with his all-around game. To me, that's the biggest development in the first seven games for the Winnipeg Jets is his all-around play. And the Jets weren't going to be a successful team without Mark Shifley buying in. Mark Shifley not only has bought in, he's leading the buy-in. No doubt. Uh, you know what? It's it's funny because I, I go back to the conversations that we had last year. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll give credit to uh, to Huss and Winnipeg Sports Talk. They were the first one to kind of bring up the, the conversation. I'm not saying that he said they should do it, but he's the first one to bring up the conversation about trading Mark Shifley. I remember that conversation blew my mind because it never crossed my mind to consider doing something like that. And here's the reason why we've seen, you know, and, and this is going to be a little bit of reiteration. People will have heard a lot of this from me before the, uh, this year, but Mark Shifley is a guy who scores a point per game in his sleep, right? He's just a built in point per game player has been for a really long time. Now, the one thing about last season is we all know Mark didn't have a good year defensively. And, and he was off, and his effort looked like it was off, and I think that he would admit that. But what I saw from Mark Shifley was a player that didn't put in the effort that was required to properly you know, be a, a center and lead a good team in the NHL still managed to pull off a point-per-game season, which tells me he's got such innate offensive instincts that no matter how he plays the game, he's going to put up the points. And that's what intrigued me about Mark Shifley and getting a different coaching staff that may have different expectations of how to play the game defensively or how to grind out the game than maybe the Paul Maurice regime had, or at the very least that the Paul Maurice regime was able to get out of him. What I take away from this is I, I take, and we talked about this, Ken. We talked about it at the beginning of the year. Players like Jason Robertson and Joe Pavelski with the Dallas Stars were players that were able to put up really, really good numbers on the Dallas Stars team while still being a really, really good defensive team. And what I saw with Mark Shifley and have always seen with Mark Shifley is a player that if you could get a coach to get him to buy in defensively and play a little bit harder on the other end of the ice, I don't see him as being one of those players that needs to sacrifice on the offense in order to pull that off. He just seems to, like I said, have this innate goal-scoring, point-producing ability that just kind of happens when he gets on the ice. And the rest of the game 
and how he affects the game is kind of the thing that he needs to focus on. So last year he didn't focus on it. He didn't do enough of the back checking, and that's why we saw time and time again that he wasn't pulling it off, and he was he was creating problems for the Winnipeg Jets. But this year I feel like we're going to see a point-per-game Mark Shifley, who's a lot better defensively than we ever thought he could be. And to your point, I don't think we're going to see him winning a Selkie trophy, but I do think that we're going to see a much more rounded version of Mark Shifley that is more of a winner than we've seen in the past. And that's why I thought it was crazy because I just wanted to see a coach who applied a little more defense and a little more grit to his game. Because again, I don't think anyone needs to touch the scoring. I think it just happens for him because that's just the kind of player he is. Um, just wrapping that up. I mean, I'm going to give you a stick tap here. I know you're not used to this, but uh, I was listening to you. Uh, <laughs> when I was picking up a few groceries this week, I was listening to you with Hustler on Winnipeg Sports Talk, and I think you encapsulated it pretty well. This is Mark Scheifele's Steve Eiserman season. Yeah. It's not a humongous sacrifice of offense, but it's a commitment. It's a commitment to the greater good for himself and for the Winnipeg Jets. So the greater good means that Mark is willing to make a few sacrifices in terms of maybe cheating for offense. Instead, he's focusing on his all-around game. He openly said in preseason, after his first game, when his entire line got called out for shift length, that he wanted to be coached. So at a time when most people were wondering if that was going to be the first fracture of the Shifley bonus relationship. Oh, well, the coach said something, you know, not even really fully negative, but took his players to task publicly after he did it privately, and people thought he was going to take his puck and go home. Well, no, that's not how it's going to be this year or any year. Mark's ready to be dug. He's dug in. He's invested. He's taken ownership, and he wants to win. So, I mean... Did he have to have that epiphany moment in the offseason? Well, that only Mark knows that answer. But what we know is that moment has arrived, and it's led to a great start for both Mark Shifley and an above-average start for the Winnipeg Jets, who are now 4-3 and three going into a game with the Arizona Coyotes on Friday night. Um, I gotta say, getting a stick tap from you, it, it's it's a huge honor, Ken. It's a huge <laughs> oh, yeah. honor. They don't come around yeah. that often. I feel like we need to have a section, like a rapid hey, fire section. Go bring on some say. better takes. Bring on some better <laughs> takes. <laughs> I feel I feel like we need to have. Uh, it made me think you doing that while you were talking. It made me think that we need to do like a segment in the show that's like a rapid fire where we like bring up a topic and you either say like wake up or woke. Now I don't want to get too political because I know woke has connotations, but I just love the idea of like, this guy needs to wake up. This guy's already woken up. So this last take of mine, I feel like was I got the woke stamp from Ken, whereas I'm typically getting the wake up stamp from Ken. So it felt, it felt good to avoid the wake up stamp is all I'm saying here. Um, uh, hey, I'm going to give you more time to talk about this. You talked about it earlier on. I, I wanted to like shout out Axel Janssen, Fialbi. I was Good getting uh, getting beat uh, in the in the <laughs> chat room about that. Just never mind the fact that he scores the game winner. I don't feel like we talked about him enough, but also the fact that he drew the penalty that led to the Pierre-Luc Dubois goal. Uh, give him a shout out. Great night for him. Shout out to Adam Lowry, who has like a goal and assist on the night. Uh, just 
tons tons of contributions from the bottom but i wanted to i know you touched on this but we've got about a minute left on the show i wanted you to give uh i know you are the driver of the gus bus just <laughs> give one last showing of what you saw from david gustison here tonight because he had a good game too well it turns out that uh the official scorers need to wake up because gustison did not get a point after getting the puck back to Brennan Dillon at the point after winning the battle in the corner, I guess they're calling that uh, they're calling that possession for the Kings defenseman. Uh, anyways, David Gustafson, 18 shifts, 10, 17, 809 at even strength, 208 while shorthanded, three block shots, 80% in the circle. Again, another solid performance by David Gustafson. You know, doesn't matter to me if he only got the one assist on on credit. That goal yeah. doesn't happen without his his forecheck there. I mean, Gustafson is building confidence. And when you build confidence, you can make a contribution. This is a guy who's always been a smart player. He's always been the type of guy who makes people around him better. He has rarely had um, you know, eye-popping offensive seasons. Yeah. But he's always had an impact on the hockey game, whether that was with the Manitoba Moose, with Swedish, you know, Sweden's World Junior teams. Um, this is a guy that he's in, he's a fourth line player right now, but he can grow into more than that over time. Whether that means moving to the wing with Adam Lowry or whatever else happens, but this is a guy that uh, is an important part of the Winnipeg Jets team. Even though right now, you know, in the previous years, you wouldn't be calling fourth line guys, you know big contributors i mean he's not a big contributor yet but he's already earned his contributor status and he needs to keep rolling and and you know he's he's just a guy who you know puts his puts his head down puts in the work and every now and then the contributions are happening uh, all right waiters was hoping for 2 a.m uh we're close to it there i gotta call him to right here i gotta call we're not him going there. we got stuff we gotta do we're working but i gotta say i'm looking at our numbers here and i awesome. am damn happy and proud of uh the, the the crew that we got here listening of uh, the engagement that we have um i know that uh that lamplighter beer sells itself uh, but we love that you take you all take part in it. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you haven't subscribed to us yet, I don't know what you're waiting for, but make sure you subscribe and leave some likes. It just helps us reach different people and increase the chat room and the fun that we're all having here. Really appreciate it so much. Ken, great takes as usual. I'm going to take that stick tap every day. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to earn it every day, but I'll take it whenever <laughs> you're willing to dish it out. Uh, thank you so much also to our sponsors, uh, the folks of Vittorio Rossi, TransCanada Brewing, and of course the uh, Kenny and Rennie OGs at the Johnson Group. Uh, we've said this before. I'll say it every single show. If you appreciate the conversations that are happening in our market like this, please appreciate and uh, help support our sponsors who are investing in making these conversations happen. They wouldn't be happening without them. So thank you so much to them. Thank you to the chat room who rocked it. As always, we appreciate that. And we're going to be right back at it tomorrow night after a very interesting game. The Jets played the first ever game against the Arizona Coyotes in the Molota Arena. It's going to be a fun one. Make sure you come join us. Have a great night, everybody.